Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. Welcome to, to Journey Church. If you have not been welcomed yet, my name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey Church, and I'm just glad to be able to spend an hour or so with you this morning. And, and as Mitchell asked the question, like, are you ready for Christmas? I, I felt like maybe you're not aware that like, Christmas is less, or just about two weeks away. So, I mean, whether like, you're needing to go shopping or whatever it is that you need to do before Christmas, like the time is, is starting to, to dwindle a little bit. And, and what I'm realizing right now, and maybe you know this, like, like this is the time for, for lists. I mean, I know that our, that our kids are creating lists, but, but we also, like, we, we need some lists to make sure that we're getting the things done that we need to get done. In fact, we checked something off of the list yesterday as a family, we went and got our Christmas tree. Yes, we were the ones yesterday that went out and got their Christmas tree in the middle of like the monsoon and, and got, came home soaking wet and like people were driving by with our Christmas tree and they're just shaking their head like, no. But we were checking that the, our things off of the list. Now, I don't know, it, you don't have to raise your hand. Um, maybe you're a list person in here, like you keep a lot of lists. I'm, I'm in love with a list person. I just know someone who loves lists and um, has lots of them, and, and, which is fantastic. I know some of you are probably like closet list people. I don't think it totally, totally matters. But one thing I know about you, if you are a list person, is that the details, they matter to you. Details are, are important. They're, they're significant. They, they matter. And as we are making our way through the Gospel of John, the story of Jesus is told by John. I believe that, that John probably was a list person because for John, the details matter. As we've been reading through his gospel, as his telling of Jesus' story, we see that, that every detail matters. There's nothing in this story that John has put in there that is there by accident. He includes all sorts of details. In fact, that is one of the main reasons why we are slowly and methodically making our way through this gospel. Instead of just running through like one chapter a week, we're taking as, as slow as we can and into the majority of next year through this gospel because in it, John is showing us, he's pointing out to us, helping us to see clearly and to understand clearly and to know certainly that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. And so I encourage you, especially today as we jump into the next part of, of John's gospel, to, to be paying attention to the details. And, and if you're not sure the best way to do that, well, maybe you could just make a list and just write them down as, as you're going through. But if you happen to bring a Bible with you this morning, open up to John chapter 6. We're going to be reading the first 21 verses of John chapter 6. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible and you don't have your phone or whatever, you can just read on the screen behind me. Here's what it says in John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy the bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. 
There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves he left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountainside or to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake to Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew tough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened. He said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, John here, the beginning of of this part of Jesus' story, he points out that Jesus is being followed by a crowd. And this is not unfamiliar to us if we've been reading either in John or any of the other Gospels. We know that the crowds, they followed Jesus. But here he points out that they were following Jesus because of the signs that he was performing, the things that he was doing, especially the healing of the sick. And so there were all of these crowds that were following. So Jesus needed a break from the crowds. We all do at some point, right? So he, he hops on a boat and heads across the Sea of Galilee and makes his way up on a mountainside. And John points out that when Jesus gets up onto the mountainside, that he, he sits down with his disciples, Now, there's an interesting detail that you would want to add to your list, that John mentions that Jesus was going to sit down with his disciples. The question is, why would Jesus sit down with his disciples? I mean, I don't think he was tired. Maybe he could have been, but I don't think it was that he was tired or that he maybe had something in in his sandal or he wanted to admire the view. No, Jesus was sitting down because Jesus is a rabbi. The posture of sitting with other people was the posture of a rabbi. And when Jesus was sitting down with his disciples, he was sitting down to teach his disciples. Now we know that, because we've talked about this before, that a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, someone who has decided to to follow Jesus, to, to be with Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to learn from Jesus, and then become like Jesus. That is what a disciple is. And for Jesus to disciple someone, to teach someone who was his disciple, was to teach them how to live their life in the kingdom of God. So here's Jesus on the mountainside teaching his disciples how to live their life in the kingdom of God. And now in this passage, John doesn't tell us anything that Jesus taught. We just assume, I'm just assuming that he did. Because this sounds like and it looks a lot like Jesus on a different mountainside that we read about it in Matthew chapters 4, 5, and 6. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is just teaching his disciples. But even while Jesus isn't being recorded here as teaching his disciples, here's what I think John was doing. is He's letting us know and maybe even his disciples know that, that what is going on here, what is about to take place in this moment is going to be more than just 
a miracle. It's going to be more than just a miracle. This would be a lesson for the disciples. It would be a, a lesson that would form them, that would shape them, that would transform them and help them to live a life, to live their lives in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, being the good teacher that he is, he starts his lesson with a test. Lucky Philip, I bet Philip was just like, no, you picked me out. Like, you're going to ask the one guy you're asking the question. He comes up to Philip, and he, and he says to Philip, like, hey, so where are we going to get all of this, all the food? How can, where can we buy all the food for all of these people? Now, Jesus had the answer key. John points that out. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. And yet Philip's response, right, Philip was like, we could spend a half a year working, and we couldn't even buy a bite for all of these people. I'm not sure if that's the answer Jesus was looking for, but that was Philip's answer. We don't know if he passed or failed the test. But then Andrew comes up. He's not even asked the question, but Andrew comes up. Maybe he's a teacher's pet. I don't know. But he comes up and he says, hey, we have this kid who's got a little lunch, right? Like five barley loaves and two fish. Like this was a sack lunch, literally, because the barley loaves, like that's the, the, the food of the poor. It wasn't, these are more like, like tortillas or chapati or just like little thin slices of like pressed down bread. It was not a big meal. And so Jesus says to all of them, he says, okay, just have everybody sit down. You give me what you have. And then it says, John points out that Jesus thanked the Lord. He, he gave thanks. And maybe he gave a, a blessing kind of like this. It's, this is a Jewish blessing that says, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, king of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then it says that Jesus distributed the bread. He distributed the fish. He handed out as much as people wanted. They ate until they were full. I remember when, when we lived in Rwanda, we would go and, and visit churches, and afterwards they would feed us food, and they would feed us a, a, as, as much food as we wanted, although we would only take as much as, as we needed. And, and at the end, I, I had to learn this word in Kenya Rwanda. It was bidahagije, which means enough. I'm full. I'm good. Like they had bidahagije. They had had enough. They had had their fill. They had as much as they wanted. And so in this moment, right, there are some lessons that could have been learned. Like, there's some clear lessons in this passage. One is that, is that Jesus can do the impossible with what seems like the insignificant, right? Like, he can take bread and fish and just multiply it. He can also, like, do the unexpected. Maybe he's teaching us expect the unexpected. I mean, another lesson could be, like, offer Jesus what's, what's in your hands. It's not insignificant. Anything that we have can be taken and, and used by Jesus. Maybe Jesus is simply teaching us to, to trust him or to, to receive him by, by faith, or to understand that he is enough. But what if, what if the miracle isn't the lesson? What if the lesson isn't found in the miracle? What if the lesson isn't found in the loaves and, and the fish? What if the lesson is in the leftovers? You see, this story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people, it's in this miracle. It's told in every single gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell this same story. It varies a little bit. You can read all of them and kind of put together what the big picture look like. It all, it all kind of varies, but they all tell the story. And at the end of every one of them, they talk about these baskets of, of leftovers being collected. They talk about these 12 baskets of leftovers that are being collected by Jesus' disciples. And here's, here's how, it's, 
how it, it says it in John, because in John, he was the only one that recorded the words of Jesus to his disciples in that moment. And here's, I mean, we already read it this morning, but it says, when they had had enough to eat, when they had had enough to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. The fact that, that John records this, it, it makes me think that, it, that this was more than just an instruction that Jesus was giving his disciples, but rather because he had sat down on the mountainside with him, this is the lesson that he wanted them to take with them into the, the future, into, the, into the, the moments, and actually literally probably into tomorrow, which we'll, we'll get to um, next week. Because here's the thing is that, is that this lesson was not Jesus trying to teach the disciples to clean up after themselves, right? This is not about teaching them not to be wasteful. Those are, are good and important lessons, but, but Jesus wasn't concerned with the crumbs in this moment. Rather, Jesus knew that, the, that they, needed, they were going to need this lesson. They knew that this lesson was going to be significant for them. And we'll see that it's significant simply by the words that Jesus says to them. Because we're going to walk through this one verse, almost word by word. Because first Jesus says, he says, gather. Now, this was not just like pick up after yourself. He wasn't like sending them to the rooms and go clean up your stuff. No, this word gather, it meant to collect. It means to, to bring together, to, to assemble. Similar in some ways even to what we are doing right now. Because it wasn't Jesus' intention just to make sure that they had picked up every bit of scrap. He wasn't so concerned about cleaning up. What he was concerned about was the idea of, of coming together, which we'll see and understand as we continue to go through this passage. So he says, gather, but don't just gather. He says, gather the pieces. Now, this pieces, it's, it's fragments. It's broken pieces, but not just, like, just random broken pieces. These are, these are pieces and fragments of, of what was original, which was the the bread, which was the barley loaves, which was the, the food of the poor, and it had, it had been distributed and broken, and as it was, pieces of it were, were broken off, and it fell to the ground. And, and in the Jewish tradition, the Jewish people believed that, that bread especially, I mean, especially if you go back to like manna and God's provision of, of, of bread, they f- believed that bread was a gift of God. And after every meal, they would make sure to go around and collect the scraps to pick up the broken pieces to make sure that they weren't being left over because the broken pieces still had value. In fact, what Jesus is saying here is saying, gather together the broken pieces because Jesus knew that these broken pieces, broken off from the original, broken off from their original design and and intention, these broken pieces still have value. In fact, I'm betting that today, like that single sentence is one that, that maybe is, is meaningful for you. I know it is for me that, that Jesus would say to me, like, like even as a broken piece, even as someone who's, who is made in the image of God and yet looks far from it, you still have value. You are still made in the image of God. So gather together the broken pieces. Gather together the pieces that are left over. Now, just to be clear, Jesus isn't saying don't gather up the leftovers because leftovers is the, is the wrong word to use here. 
Like I, I, it has a negative connotation. At least it should. Like I, I'm not a huge fan of leftovers. I'll eat them. I, like I'll do my part. I don't want to be wasteful. But like I wouldn't choose leftovers, except for maybe a few exceptions. And you can add this to your list if you want to. But lasagna, I believe, is better the second day than the first. Pizza, it makes a, a great leftover. And then almost anything made on Thanksgiving Day is just as good the day after, right? Like there are some exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, like leftovers, they're just not, they're not great and they don't have a positive connotation in, in our mind. And so when Jesus says, gather the pieces that are left over, he's not saying gather up the leftovers and, and go microwave them. No, what, what he is saying is that gather up what is left over. Like this is, this is what was over and above what had been expected and what had been needed. See, what he's saying is like, Gather together the broken pieces that are, that are still here. Gather together the, the broken pieces, the fragments that are, that are still left. Gather them together. And then he, the next part, he says, let nothing be wasted. The first part, let nothing. That word let, as I was looking at the, the words and understanding them, and I feel like it's better translated so that. Instead of just, just let nothing, it's, it's so that nothing in that word in its original language actually meant nothing, right? It's like, it's like let nothing, not one thing, not one person. It's inclusive, exhaustively inclusive. Let not one thing, and Jesus says, be wasted. At least that's the way it's recorded in, in my verse. And when we think of, of waste, we think of those things that we just discard, right? The things that, that maybe we discard without really considering or getting the full value of it. We talk about like, don't, don't be wasteful or, or, or don't waste your money on that. Or our kids, we don't waste food. Like that's our idea of waste. When we talk about, when even when we hear this, it says, let nothing be wasted. Let nothing be maybe thrown away or discarded because we don't think it has any value. You know what, what Jesus was saying here in this moment, instead of be wasted, he said, let nothing so that nothing would be lost. That word is much better translated as, as lost, at least for the way that we would understand it. Because that lost, it actually meant to be killed or just destroyed or to perish. So here, Jesus is saying, gather the broken pieces, the leftovers. What is, what is left? What is still here? So that nothing, so that no one will be lost. So that no one will perish. Sounds a lot like what we read in, in John 3.16. So here's the question, right? It's like, so what's, what's the lesson? Now, for in this moment, here's what I think the, the lesson is, but it's actually going to change in just a second, so be, be patient. But, so the lesson for now is, like, is just take this with you. Take this with you. Take this moment. Take this miracle. Take this memory. Take me, Jesus is saying. Take it with you <laughs> because you're going to need it. It, it. Tomorrow, you're going to need the memory of today tomorrow. So take it take it with you. And, and they did. What we read in, in John's telling of the story is that, is that the disciples, they went around and they collected up the leftover bread, especially is what John points out, is that, is that they filled 12 baskets full of this leftover barley loaf. 
Now, when I've read this story in the past, when I read it as a, as a kid or even as an adult, and maybe you're the same as me, I just pictured like, these being huge baskets of bread, right? Like, like you know, Peter and, and John and, and Philip, they're just holding these huge baskets of, of bread. But as I read and, and studied more and looked more deeply at this passage and what others had said about it, it's, it's probably more likely that these baskets were more like, like a little satchel, like a little wicker basket that was part of their attire, almost like a, a lunchbox that they would just put over their shoulder and they would just have it with them. They had this little way of, of carrying with them like what Jesus had done on that mountainside because that's what, what was going to happen next. They were going to take this miracle with them as they took off into the, into the next place. See, for me, it was a, it was a different way of, of understanding and picturing this part of the story. When Jesus said, gather together all of these things, and, and the disciples did, they put them not in these giant baskets they would distribute, but they, you know, they put them in a basket that they would carry with them into the next moment, and maybe just for the next day or so. I mean, how, how long would that bread, how long would that, that fish, how long would that lunch last Maybe a day or so, but we're going to see that the next day was pretty important. You see, Jesus here was teaching them about more than just a miracle. Because I think my question and my thought was like, I wonder if if this is one of those moments when the disciples would look back on all of this and, and think, what was Jesus doing there? They would look back at this statement, like this direction that Jesus gave them, gathered together the broken pieces so that nothing would be lost. I wonder if they looked back on that statement and thought, man, I thought he just was telling me to pick up the mess. But I think he was trying to teach me something and what was it? I think we're going to get a, a glimpse of that next week as we look at the next part of, of this story when he would just really say some pretty hard things about bread I'm not going to give anything away. Spoiler alert, you can read ahead if you want to. (laughs) But it would not just be like the hard things for for tomorrow, but it's for hard things like forever. Like going forward, Jesus was like, you're going to need me and you're going to need one another. So gather together the pieces. Let nothing be wasted. And they did. So they took it on their side. They hopped on a, on a boat. They head back to Capernaum, it says, and they left without Jesus. Now, depending on which gospel story you're reading, you can see like either Jesus sent them or like here they just took off. But all we know is that they were all out on the water by themselves without Jesus. They were on a boat. And again, this is told, this part of the story on the ship is, is told in Mark and Matthew, and you can get a, a much ro- more robust picture of what took place. But, but here was their hope in getting on the boat. It's simple. They got on the boat, and they want to get to the other side, right? That was their hope. Like the how, like what was, how were they going to do it? They were going to paddle. They were going to work. They were going to strive. They were going to get from one end of the lake to the other. However they could, they were going to do whatever they needed to to get there. And then what was the obstacle. What was the opposition? Well, we see one, it was, it was the wind, and then it was the waves, and then it was the dark of night. And uh, this week, I was at a, a lunch with uh, some other pastors, and, and one person there, he shared this poem by Madeline Langle called Into the Darkest Hour. And I just wanted to share it with you because it actually is a, 
was looking at this passage and preparing it, and he read this poem. I was like, oh, that actually kind of fits. Let me, let me share it with you, and it'll be up on the screen. It, it goes like this, and I apologize if I don't read it awesome. But It was a time like this, war and tumult of war, a horror in the air. Hungry yawned the abyss, and yet there came the star and the child most wonderfully there. It was time like this of fear and lust for power, license and greed and blight. And yet the prince of bliss came into the darkest hour in quiet and silent night. In a time like this, how celebrate his birth when all things fall apart? Ah, wonderful it is. With no room on the earth, the stable is our heart. Now, obviously, in this, in this poem, Madeline Langle was, was talking about Christmas, right? Like, it was, like, this is the kind of the Christmas story, but it's not the, the holiday that we celebrate that she was pointing to. She was pointing to the moment when Christ entered history by entering into humanity. She was pointing to the moment that took place not in the light of day, but that took place in the darkest hour of the night. She was pointing to the moment when Jesus came not to live as king, but to live and rule in hearts. You see, this was the moment, at least in the story that we read today, when Jesus arrived walking on water. In the darkest hour of the night, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of, of, of the darkest hour. And again, my question was, was why? I, I, and that's a common question, right? When, we're, when we find ourselves in the middle of the night, the dark night of the, of the soul, right? Or the dark night of literally, or, or in the middle of a struggle, or when we're facing the wind of opposition, and the waves that are beating us over and over, our question is often, why? My question, when I looked at this story, is, is, is why now? Like, why, why did Jesus arrive, like, right at this moment? Why did he wait until the, the darkest hour, the darkest moment to, to arrive on scene? Why did, he could have come uh, before they left. He could have come before it got dark. He could have come before the wind and the waves started beating against them. But he didn't. He waited until they were right in the middle of it all. He waited until they were right in the middle of the dark, right in the middle of the wind and the waves and the struggle. And this is when Jesus arrived. And it was in this moment that, is, that John says the disciples, they were terrified. And maybe they were terrified because like Jesus is out there walking on water. That would freak me out just a little bit. I'm not going to lie. But if we read the other gospel accounts of this story, we see that the disciples were probably afraid of a lot more than just Jesus walking in the water. They were maybe even afraid for their life in this, in this moment. And what's interesting is that when Jesus arrives on the scene, when Jesus shows up, he doesn't offer them rescue. He doesn't offer them a way out. He doesn't offer them even a miracle. What he offers them is his presence. And in doing so, he offers them peace. I mean, listen to what he says. He says, it is I. Or what may be better for us to understand, I am here. Don't be afraid. 
it sounds like what we say to our kids when they wake up from a nightmare and they're just freaking out and they're just upset and, and scared. And we're like, shh, it's okay. I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm, I'm right here. And for most of our kids in most of that, those situations, it, it makes all the difference in the world, our presence right there. And so it says that they welcome Jesus right into the boat. And in that moment, they arrived where they had intended to go. They arrived at shore right as they brought Jesus onto the boat. You see, this, this was the solution. This was the rescue that they needed. But can I tell you what? I don't think this was actually the miracle. The miracle wasn't even the the fish and the bread that Jesus multiplied. The miracle wasn't him walking on water. The miracle wasn't him calming the seas. The miracle is when he said, I am here. The miracle is Emmanuel. The miracle is God with us. You see, what looked like miracles to them, walking on water, multiplying bread, that was just simply signs that was pointing or that were pointing to the presence of God among them. They were point, signs pointing to the miracle of, of God with us. So what does that mean for us right now? Because, I, I mean, if we're all being honest, we're, we're in some form or fashion, we're all in the middle of a dark night, right? We're all struggling against some wind and some waves in our life. So what does that mean to us right now? Well, I mean, the obvious is that, yeah, God is, is with us, right? He will never leave us nor forsake us. And, and we can take that lesson and that truth in this story that even in the middle of the darkest hour and the, and the wildest winds and waves, Jesus will come and he says, I am here, I am with you, don't be afraid. We can take that truth and we can hold tightly to it. But can I be honest that sometimes I don't think that that always looks like Jesus walking out to me on the water. It doesn't always look like a miracle. It actually, it might and more often will look like something different. A few weeks ago, uh, we, put, we put out on social media uh, just an opportunity for people to engage in, a, in an Advent devotional. Um, and, oh, perfect, I don't want to lose my page. And hopefully some of you took advantage of it. it it's put out by George Fox University, some of the campus pastors and, and staff and, just, and students and others were writing a, a devotion for Advent. Every, every day of Advent, someone writes a different devotion. And so I got a copy and I was reading through that. And, and one of them stood out to me that I felt like it just answers some of this question. So if, if we're in the middle of the, our struggle, if we're in the middle of the dark night and Jesus is with us, but it doesn't look like Jesus walking on water, what does it look like? Well, I feel like this helps to just bring maybe a, a frame around it. This is written by Aaron Johnson, who I actually thought she might be here today because her, her son was playing up in here and her husband was right here. But... She's not, but it's fantastic. And here's what she says in the end of her devotion. It'll be up on the screen. She says, in the darkness, we are invited to put our trust, be it feeble or strong, in the hope of God's promises of love, grace, and mercy. In the darkness, we reach out to others in vulnerability to authentically ask for help, to be together, and to show up for each other again and again. And when we are the one to whom others come, the Elizabeth to another's Mary, we listen, affirm, and enter into the sacred space of vulnerability being offered 
to us. When the unexpected, life-altering news comes to us, we do not need to handle it or get through it alone. We can share it with those we love and trust and walk with openness in all we are feeling, thinking, and experiencing with a God who loves us exactly where we are at always. So what if the miracle of Emmanuel, the miracle of God with us, is through God in us. You see, here's the thing is we might not be able to, to solve other people's problems. We not, might not be able to perform the miracle. We can't walk out on, on water to, to someone to offer them a quick passage through the dark hours of the night. But what we can do is we can be with them. We can be present. We can be near. We can listen. We can empathize. We can stand alongside and with one another as we go through the dark hours of the night. We can remind others and offer others the presence of God in our presence, with our presence. Here's one of my greatest fears when when I was becoming, when I chose to go into pastoring, when I just chose to like to answer the Lord's call into my own life is one of my greatest fears in, in this role is, is that I would have someone in my church who went through like a horrible tragedy, right? Lost a spouse, lost a sibling, lost a child. And like, I just, I'm like, man, what do you do in those moments? How do you help someone? How do you move them through the dark hour of the night in those moments? And, and sadly, like that, that's like a fear. It was a fear of mine, but sadly, it's a, a fear that I've had to face in, over the last year, not because of anything I've gone through, but just having to walk with people that have gone through tragedy. And man, in those moments, I, I was like, what do I say? What do I do? How do I help? How do I even make a difference? And I've just, like the Lord, I felt like in those moments, he was teaching me a lesson. It's like, just be present. Just be near just empathize and, and listen. Remind them of my presence. Offer them my presence by just being present. It wasn't about anything that I could do or say. It was simply about being near, being present. Like that is God with us. See, Jesus said to his disciples, gather the, the pieces collect, bring together the broken pieces that were made in my image that are still here, that are still left, so that no one will be lost. It's what he was teaching them. And man, as we head towards, towards Christmas, like people, like, I know Christmas is awesome. I can't wait, but I know that Christmas can be a dark hour for a million different reasons for people. And I won't even pretend to like give examples of what that would be. But here's the, here's the miracle that we see as we make our way towards Christmas. We remember that for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that that we never walk through a dark moment, a dark night. We never face a wind or a wave alone because we know that your promise is true, that you are here and that we do not have to be afraid, that you will never leave us or forsake us. You are God with us, Lord. I pray that you would root that truth deep within our souls, Lord, because we are going through dark nights. We will face dark nights. We will have hard things to face, not maybe today, but maybe tomorrow or the week after that. And when we do, Lord, we want to look back into this little lunch basket of of you with us, where we see the miracles of the things that you have done, the ways that you have proven that you you are good and you are God and you are God with us. Lord, help us to hold on to those things, to hold deeply to those truths. They would transform the way that we live. They would transform the way that we walk, transform the way that we carry the kingdom of God into this world. Lord, we need that. And so we ask for it, and we ask that you would give it in abundance, just like you did the fish and the bread. Lord, multiply what just seems like not enough and do what only you could do in those moments. And Jesus, as we seek to follow you together, would you equip us and give us both wisdom and grace to to know how to best walk with one another, to offer Emmanuel, the presence of God, just simply through the reminder of, of our presence with somebody. Help us to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to grow in relationship with one another in this room, but not limited to this room, with others that are outside of this room, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our communities, in in our world, that they would know that God is with them because we are with them. Lord, we pray that your presence, your Holy Spirit would fill us to overflowing as we take your presence into those who you value so richly and deeply. Jesus, we ask all of this in your powerful name. Amen. So as you go today, I mean, I would pray that that God would be with you. We know that he is. And as we often say as we leave this place, we're not leaving the presence of God, but we have a unique and and almost privileged and blessed opportunity to take the presence of God with us wherever we go. So God bless you as you do. I will be praying for you and I look forward to seeing you again next week as as we see how much we're going to need it. Have a great week.